or if I just yelled, but that is my way of making sure I'm not singing on the live stream. No one wants to hear that, least of all me. Good morning, church. Today I'm kind of wrapping up what we've been doing for a while, so if you've been kind of following along, been present for the last several weeks, I'm going to do a quick sort of run through of what we've been covering, and I want to try to wrap it up today, put a final bow on it, kind of the, the concept here that at this next point with Jesus is a level of faith that is rarely reached, but is a huge blessing, and it is called out in Scripture when it's reached, okay? So I want to start with uh, about, uh, I don't know, about four weeks ago, we talked about the idea that Jesus gave a gift of time to a couple of people in Genesis chapter 2 who were newly minted by God, who didn't need holiness because they were born holy. They didn't need to be transformed because they didn't need any transformation. There was none necessary yet. They had yet to fall. What they needed was relationship, and so he gave them Sabbath, a 24-hour period, to hang out with him. How do you get to know another being? Time. Time invested with them, conversation, interaction, that grows your knowledge, grows that information, get, get, begins to build trust, and that trust blooms as the information continues. If the person is trustworthy, right? If the person is untrustworthy and you spend a lot of time with them, it begins to break up, begins to break down, okay? So that was one. He gave a gift of time to people who did not need to overcome sin. Sabbath is not about overcoming anything. It's about growing something. Got that first part? Somebody say yes just so I don't feel terrible. Okay, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So that's number one. As that continues into the present, as man became farther away from God, as man, it, because of sin, drifted away from God, and we know how that is. When we, get, when we start getting into the wrong things, we start pulling back from God because to stay close to God means the, those things will be eliminated. And if we don't want them eliminated, we have to back out of that relationship a little bit. It's like when you do something stupid, you don't want to see your spouse. Right? When you've done something stupid, especially if your spouse already knows you did it, you're like, okay, I'm going to try to sneak past without anybody knowing I came into the house. Is that only me? <laughs> Truth is an important thing. When you are in a relationship where you have caused some damage to that relationship, you kind of pull back. <laughs> You kind of break out of it a little bit, and that's the same thing with our relationship with God. So what is, this, what is this time thing about? It's a weekly reminder that we come back into that connection, come back into that relationship, hang out for 24 hours, grow a little bit, get a little bit into that walk and into that relationship. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about faith. We've been talking about how faith grows. Off of that concept, then knowledge and truth, etc., continue to grow faith. And then we talked about what obedience does. We talked about the fact that if, there, if you're saved by grace through that faith, through that trust relationship in God, what's the point of obedience? Obedience helps us know where our faith stands. It's a measure of our faith. Well, actually, disobedience is a measure of our faith. 
to. Because we know where we're going to bump up against God. <clears throat> we know where we're going to hit that point where we don't want to go further with God. <clears throat> so obedience, call to obedience, call to follow God, call to trust Him and do what He asks, that bumps up against Him, right? And He will say, hey, I, wanted, I want you to try this other thing in your life. And you go, eh, I don't want to. And you know that's where your faith stops, right? That's as high as your faith is willing to go. When you then step across the call line, when you then step across the line He's challenging you with, your faith grows that much more. And now your, 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 your ceiling is higher. Your ceiling is a little higher. So it was down here, and then you said yes to God, and you stepped across into that thing, and you didn't die. And you're like, okay, okay, God, you weren't, you weren't trying to throw me into some kind of a trap. You were just putting me on the next level, and we're, we leveled up a little bit. Remember, we talked about the disciples last week when God told them that they had, Jesus told them that they had to forgive their brothers. Seven times in one day, if he came back all seven times and said, I'm sorry, then they had to forgive him. And the disciples knew that the Mosaic law said they only had to give up three of those. And they're, they asked Jesus, well, please, please strengthen our faith. This is that space where we, we talked about last week. And he said, well, if you have a faith the size of a mustard seed, you can do the outrageous things like tell this tree jump in the lake. And it will. You don't need a lot of faith to forgive, guys. You just need a willingness to step into it. And then he goes on to talk to them a little bit more. And that's kind of where we ended last week. So I want to pick up today with the concept of love, not fear. The relationship with God is described in these two words, in these two extremes. On the one end, fear. On the other end, love. And I believe this is a continuum of understanding how the relationship works. On the one side, there is the beginning of the relationship, and the beginning of the relationship starts with trepidation. It starts in fear. It starts in not being too sure about yourself. The end of that relationship is love. So we're looking for love, not fear. We're trying to do away with fear. No fear. I looked up no fear on the internet. The pictures of the clothing manufacturer and the skateboard manufacturer and the all kinds of other stuff manufacturer are amazing. This dude was legitimately upside down inside a gymnasium. And I love the little line, this is my comfort zone. How do you get comfortable there? Lots and lots of time on that bike and on that ramp, right? Lots of investment of time until you know you are safe in that space. Notice that once, they, once you know you are safe in that space, the fear is not so intense. The fear is not going to call you out. The fear is not going to eliminate you. If you go into this thing with no fear at all, you're crazy. Let me repeat that. If you go into this with no fear at all, you're crazy. And you're probably going to get hurt. But you eliminate the fear that stops you from starting down that ramp. Any of us who have done things that were, were scary to us, frightening to us, you stood on the edge of whatever that was, and it doesn't matter what it was. It could be anything. It could be that giant silver scalded hot steel slide when you were a kindergartner in the, uh, in the back in the 70s and 80s when they didn't care about child safety. And they put you on this giant slide that, that clearly was 235 degrees and could have eggs fried on it. And they said, let, let, let the kids play on it. 
And we got up on the top of the slide, and the first time you get up on top of that slide, when you're five or six years old, you're looking at this, and it seems like the bottom of the world at the bottom of the slide. When you're a little kid, and, you, and your grandparents or your parents take you to, that, to those slides, those little ones that are cool, you know, you, wa- you go up those slides, and they're only about this high, and you, you sit up at the top of that, and you're, a lot of encouragement, and for some kids, that's a difficult slide. So your fear isn't determined by the size of the task. It's determined by the concern of your heart. It's not determined by the size of the task. It takes place internally. Fear comes from in here. So when, you, when that little, little child slides off that slide that's only about five feet long to begin with, and then you take them on the next, and you know what the par- your parents did to you, right? They said, well, you've mastered that one. Let's go on the big curly one where you get the little guy can't even see the bottom. And you have those kids who are just, they're not afraid of this kind of things. They climb up on the top of this thing, they're down, and they're like, whoa! And you you tell them, you tell their their little brother or their little sister, and you say, see? What you're basically saying is, they survived. (laughs) Right? And then you you tell them, mommy or daddy or whatever, we'll go down, we'll catch you. We'll catch you at the bottom. I think that's one of the things God does. He says, okay, jump, I'll catch you. I'll catch you. I I won't let you... I won't let you hit the ground. I'll catch you. Just jump, I'll catch you. We're trying to work from the fear of God at the beginning of this thing. To perfect love casts out fear. Let me ask, gentlemen, because I understand you better than the ladies who are with you. When you first asked your wife out on a date... Were you scared? Don't say it out loud. We don't want them to know. Because they actually don't know. They think you're bold and courageous and strong and all of that. But you remember how your heart felt? <laughs> There's, there are ladies in the audience right now going. <laughs> they're like, no, he's not. I could watch him sweat while he was coming, pouring down his face, his trepidation in his voice. When you, when you finally got courage enough to say, would you go out on a date with me? What's the big fear? What is the big fear at that moment? No, that's rejection. Yeah. Forget it. You are so ugly. I call, I don't think I could find anybody on campus who would be willing to go out with you. That's what's in your head, right? And the day before you decided to call or to go by and ask for that date, that giant, crater of volcanic thing grew out on the forehead? No, huh? Didn't happen to you? The interesting thing about this is you're not afraid to ask her on a date now. Well, one, because you have a license and she has to go. Two, because love starts to eliminate fear. Make sense? In your relationships, ladies, you've been asked out on a date. You go to that relation. You go into that 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 date with, uh, what should I wear? I don't know. This doesn't look good. I really don't have anything in my closet that fits me right. Uh, and you, you have all that angst. I hear about it on the wavelength from other people who are not of my gender. 
we do not take as much time getting dressed because we don't realize what makes us look bad and what makes us look good, except for like maybe 5% of us. We just put stuff on and hope. You guys actually know what makes you look bad and what makes you look good, and we don't even know what that means now. But you kind of get all set, and you go, and you sit down across from the table, and there's that dinner, and you're going to go through it, and you think, oh, I got dinner. I got like an hour with this guy. I hope this goes okay. You know, and, and you, what are your big worries? We'll run out of things to say. I won't like him, and I'll want to leave sooner. Do I have salad in my teeth? Why? Because you're afraid of embarrassment. You're afraid of rejection. We're all there, men and women both. So if you're, if you're a younger person, you know, you're 12 or 13, you're worried about that whole thing that's coming on the horizon, don't worry about it. We've all been there. We were all scared just like you, okay? No sweat. Talk to your parents. They were also scared. If they don't admit it, talk to someone else's parents who will tell you the truth. When the relationship with God starts, the Bible says that it starts with a fearful posture, a fearful prayer. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. I picked this out because you're used to this. If you've read it a lot, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the foundation of wisdom. The foundation of wisdom is to realize the awesomeness and the power of God when you come into the relationship. Catch that? The proper posture when you come into the relationship with God is one of humility because you realize he's the creator of everything and he is the sustainer of your breath. That's someone to be a little bit more aware of and kind of have a posture of humility to. You do not walk into the presence of God and go, yo, homie. Not how you start. Maybe down the road a long way, but not at the beginning. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the foundation of wisdom. Now, expand on the word fear. This kind of fear is the fear that's caused by awe. The fear that is caused by awe. Think of the person, the the famous person who you would most like to meet. Okay? They can be alive or dead. I don't care. I would love to meet George Washington. Chances are not good right now. (laughs) But I think when I do, I think George Washington's going to get saved and I plan on it. When I do, I'm going to be a little nervous about that. The Apostle Paul, such a brainiac. I, I think I'm going to be a little nervous about that. I have had professors in college who I respected so much because of their skill set going into their office. It felt like entering some sacred space. And it's like, why do I feel nervous? I sit at this in in front of this guy four days a week in class, but opening the door and stepping into the inner sanctum of their messy office makes me feel a little trepidatious, a little nervous, because you're in awe of someone's skill set, ability, authority. That makes you feel a little humbled, and that's a proper place to say. The proverb is arguing that that is a good place to start in your relationship with God. What he's basically saying is, understand who you're dealing with. Understand that this is God. One person said, this is your father in heaven. He's not your old man. Understand the difference? That's the point. 
it doesn't end there. It starts there. It starts there. So that's the beginning of the process. At the other end, also taken from the New Living Translation, such love, love that is connected to God, love that is coming from God, love that is, is God, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Note that this is not saying perfect love should. It's just, dist- it's just stating it straight up. This is what happens. When love reaches this kind of connected point where it's truly mature, it's truly completed, it's whole. When love gets like that, fear goes away. That's why I started with relationships between men and women, because you start on this foundation that's a little trepidatious, and it moves to this foundation, to this expression that no longer feels fear. You got it. I'm laying foundational principles. I'm laying some, some common ground principles here. So step one in your relationship. Step one in your faith and your direction and your growth of your relationship. Step one is to know how much God loves you. So know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. Step number one, understanding how much you are loved. If, if you come into this thing kind of nervous, if you could stand there and say, okay, I know he cares about me. I know he loves me. The Bible says it's a very expression of God's character to, be in lo- to love. It's a lot less frightening. And the longer you're with him and the better you understand that, the more it becomes less fearful. Okay? Step two. As we live in God, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. In other words, more like His. We begin to understand, we begin to connect to it, and as we stay in connection with God, so as we walk in relationship with God, as we spend more time with God, we begin to understand Him, and that begins to grow the whole thing. This follows so far. This is pretty straightforward. This is, this is Christianity 101, 102 here. This is, these are just the, those basic concepts which you really need to understand in order for your faith to make any sense to you. But they are basic principles. You stay in relationship like we talked about. Why did, why did God give a Sabbath to Adam and Eve? Because they didn't have a relationship. They were freshly minted. They needed time to build a relationship. So 24 hours every week, you're going to hang out together. And the Bible says that he met them in the cool of the day every day. So there was a daily connection, and there was a weekly connection that was going on between them and God because it was building relationship. If I hung around with you every day, and I spent one day, or every day, every, every day of the week, I hung around at least a little bit, and one day a week I hung around with you all day, would we get to know one another? You might know me and trust me better at the end. You might know me and trust me less at the end. It would depend on how my character is related to you, right? And the only way through to love is time. We come to a relationship with like, right? And you, and you get to that, you start that relationship with, I like you, would you go out on a date with me? And then you have that, when do you cross over and use the big L word? When does the big L come? Who says it first? Because you don't want to be the one who prematurely states the love word. Right? Don't be the, the guy who says, oh, I love you, and the girl looks at you like, oh, 
you know at that moment you wish you could have sucked that word back out of the air and into your lungs because you've prematurely stated it. Now the poor girl's stuck. Or if you're the girl who says it's the poor guy's stuck, because they, they either have to respond in kind, right, and say, um, I love you too. I love you too. Or thanks. Right? Those are kind of the options. <laughs> thanks means I'm not there yet. And I'm probably exiting now. Because you start on a plane that has to grow. And love is a plane that's pretty high. That's why the Bible gives you from there when you start with that human, (laughs) with that humble reaction to the awesomeness of God. And you work all the way to you know he loves you and you love him back and you're no longer scared. Step three. Verse, 14, or four, verse 18 of chapter 4. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. Expels. So if my, my relationship with God starts with trepidation, in staying in that relationship and walking with Him, I'm growing, I'm coming, I'm discovering, I'm moving along, I'm moving along, I'm moving along. The ultimate goal on the far side of that relationship is that I understand how greatly I am loved and I love him back. Got it? All right. Step zero. Be humble enough to know that God is God and wise enough to be concerned about his power. Step one. Recognize the cross as the revelation of God's love and accept love from God. Accept love from God. Note, I did not say step one is learn to love God. Step one is to accept love from God. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Jesus says this to Nicodemus. He said, John repeats it in 12. He says it in John chapter 12. This statement, this idea that I, the ultimate revelation of how much I love you is the cross. I will draw all men to me when I am lifted up. I recognize, Jesus says, I recognize that the crucifixion is going to say something about the character of God and the love of God that nothing before has said. This is where most people begin to believe that they are loved. This is where, if you have not yet found that to be true, you need to take a long look at what in the world did he do and why. Why did he go to the cross What was it for? And how is it about me? Why did Jesus go to the cross? What was he doing? And how is it about me? If you haven't yet crossed that line, if you haven't yet had that conversation with yourself, you're struggling with conversion right now. You may be convinced. You may be pretty sure that this thing is true. You may think, yeah, I, I, I've read enough research to believe that the Genesis account or the, the fact that there's a, a being outside of time and material space acting on our world seems to be true. I've read enough to believe that. But if you have not been confronted with the cross yet, if you have not yourself 
You, your friends can't do this for you. No one can do this for you but you. If you have not yourself thought about this thing long enough to know that it was about you, spend some more time with it because conversion happens right there. Because conversion is not an information situation. It's a love situation. It's you don't need more news. You need to know the one who's bringing it. That's going to be the difference for you if you're struggling with that conversion process there. Okay? I know people who've been in church 20, 30 years who were never converted. I, w- I started in church when I was 15 because of the woman in the front row. I stayed in church, went to, ch- went to uh, baptism, went to, to uh, college. <laughs> Sorry, these words will come out eventually. Went to seminary, came back. Actually, those happened between college and seminary. I, I went to a church and I was pastoring a youth group in a church. Pretty successfully. I mean, kids were coming. People liked what I was doing. I was completely, completely dumb. Accidentally stepped into good things, blessed by God, and unconverted. God was still using me because I was willing and ignorant, not in opposition. I was willingly put my, putting my hands forward in the work. I was not in opposition to what God is wanting to do. And I told you, when somebody made me look at the truths of grace, changed everything and converted my heart because I began to realize that everything pivoted on Jesus. And once you understand, once I understood that everything pivoted on Jesus, it changed the, the entirety of the way I looked at Scripture. And that changed the entirety of my life. If you have not yet given yourself time to focus on what happened on the cross, why did he do? Why did he do it? And how is it about me? Conversion is going to be a tough thing for you. You can be convinced for a long time before you're converted. Okay? And if you're unconvinced, don't expect conversion. If you're unconvinced, keep working on what's, what your questions are. The, God is not opposed to you having questions. God invites you into a relationship where you question Him. How can you possibly know the God of the universe? You've got a brain this big, and He's the God of the universe. Don't expect to know everything. But to know enough to be convinced to take the step, that's all you need to face the cross. So when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. This action will draw people when they understand it. That includes me. Step two, follow and imitate Jesus. Follow him. Just once that happens, just start following and imitating Jesus. This is one little tiny passage from Matthew chapter nine. Lots of story going on in chapter nine. There's a little tiny piece that's in it that we don't usually stop to look at. Jesus has just returned from across the water. There's been the storm on the sea. There's been the the Gennesaret experience with the guy who is crazy coming out from the tombs. And Jesus is now back, and he's there in Capernaum. The the leader of the synagogues rushes up to Jesus and says, my little girl is about to die. You've got to come to my house. And the Bible says, and Jesus went with him, and so did his disciples. See, all the disciples, all, all we are, are people who are tagging along with Jesus. We're just going wherever he's going next. He says, come with me, and we say, okay, I'll go. Come with me, and okay, I'll go. You just go, that's all. We just go with him, follow him, go where he's going. These guys then next will meet a woman who's been sick for 12 years and reaches out and touches him, him of Jesus' garment, and he's, she's healed from this illness that's been 
plaguing her for 12 years. The ones who stay with Jesus all the way to this guy's house will see Jesus perform a resurrection of this little girl. That's what happens when you tag along with Jesus. You start to see how Jesus is interacting with the world, and it starts to affect how you're interacting with the world. Does this make sense? This is, the, this is the process. From fear to love is a process of walking along following Jesus. Because as you hang out, you get to know him. If he is truly trustworthy, you get to trust him. Then you get to interact with the miraculous, and he begins to transform you. That's where most Christians linger. In fact, if you read the Bible, there's only a few stories of anybody who goes past this point. And God is not going to kick you out if this is as far as you get. But there's a better step. There's a next step. There's a next level. I'm okay, I'll do what you say. I'm okay, I'll do what you say. I trust you enough to do what you say. The next step peace, the next level, the, the highest ceiling or the no ceiling part is to learn to trust God so that you learn to trust God and to understand that God is motivated by love to save you. Understand the heart of God. Understand the motivation of God. To understand that God is motivated by his love to rescue you and me. That what Jesus is doing, what God is doing, what they came here to do was to get us off this messed up little planet. Scripture starts with a place where no one died. Where there is no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, none of that. And a perfect place. In this place where no one dies, God has made a garden for these people that he places in. A special place just for them where they will just enjoy getting to know him. And he gives them the freedom to break the relationship if they want. Because they can't fall in love with him unless they can choose not to. They have to choose him. They have to choose to trust him even though it doesn't make sense. If you would have made the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you would have probably done what I would have done with it. There would have been durian or something that smells worse hanging on that tree. That tree would have been gross. Something like pus would have been oozing out of it all over. Flies would have been buzzing around it. It would have smelled to high heaven. It would have stunk so bad no one would want to get close to it. But from what the biblical description is, it did not look different from the other trees. And the fruit of the tree looked good to eat. And Satan said, it is good to eat. And oh, by the way, I can give you through this fruit what God refuses to give you, and that's the rub. God can't be trusted. It starts there. And with that comes the fall, the failure, the sin, the sorrow, the suffering. And the Bible ends. It ends with the same state. And God recreated the earth, and there was no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death. The mess we find ourselves is between Genesis and Revelation. The mess where we live is the results of the choice that was made by humankind to not trust God. And we find ourselves dealing with a planet in rebellion. And we find ourselves dealing with a heart in rebellion. We find ourselves dealing with a mind in rebellion. And God's saying, 
I will get you through this if you trust me. If you try to do this on your own, you're going to find yourself banging your head against the wall again. And sure enough, that's where people find themselves. You know what's always interesting to me? It's hard for us to thank God for his blessings, and it's easy for us to blame God for the problems. Is that true for you? It's hard to say thank you for your blessings. It's easy to say, what? What's up? What happened there? Because I want God's covering and his blessing without the responsibility of the relationship. That's what I really want. So three, three quick illustrations, maybe a fourth. David, a man after God's own heart. David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. How did David do? Was David's life a straight up and to the right sort of relationship with God? No, no. David's doing this in his relationship with God, right? A lot of this, and then there's this, right? Does God kick him out of the relationship because he's messing it up? No. Because the relationship is not based, listen carefully, the relationship is not based on David's performance. The Bible doesn't say, and God said about David that he was a perfect guy and never did anything wrong. It says, no, he just he was a guy who sought after God's heart. He was chasing God's heart. He was chasing the relationship. He was messing it up a lot, but he was chasing the relationship with God. That's what David was doing. I have found a man who will chase after my heart, who will seek to understand me, to know me at a deeper level. Abraham, he believed God. It was accounted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. How did Abraham do? Was his life straight up and to the right? No. No. He waits till 75 to leave his mommy's house. You want to talk about somebody living in the basement having some problems. Abraham doesn't leave right away. He doesn't grow up, turn 25, get married, move away. No. Abraham does not leave till 75 when God finally gets him to move and head off for the promised land. I think having that, that first child who would become the, child, the father of many nations would have been easier if Abraham was 25 and not 75 when he started. But he was. When Abraham goes into the, into the foreign lands and he knows his wife is extremely beautiful, by the way, props for her at 60. Right? You haven't thought about it. To think about it. Uh, he goes in and he, every time he faces somebody who might want his wife, he lies to them. And he tells his wife to lie for him and tell him, oh, you're my sister. Now, she's his half-sister, so it's a half-lie, but a half-lie is a whole untruth. Is Abraham the perfect model of perfect behavior? No. No. But he believed God. It was about trust. It was about going from being a frightened guy to being a guy who began to trust in God. Moses. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. When Moses would go into the tent of meeting, where he was meeting God, 
God would speak to him. Wow. You ever wish you could have that? You want to talk fear of God? Wait till you hear his voice. Remember what happened to Israel when God gave them the Ten Commandments and spoke them to them? There on Mount, on, on the, from Mount Sinai, God says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Shaking, thunder, lightning, whatever. By the time he finishes the Ten Commandments, they're like, no, don't let him talk to us again, Moses. You talk to him, tell us what he says. Fear of God. But here's a guy who has spent 40 years in Egypt and killed a man, fled Egypt, spent 40 more years in the desert following sheep around, thinking his career and his life has ended. Don't assume because the track you're on at the moment isn't the one you had planned for your life that God is not using it. Don't assume that the track you're on for the moment that is not the one you expected is not, a tr- not a in the plan of God. Because those 40 years following the sheep around prepared him just as much as the 40 years in Pharaoh's court to lead those crazy Israel sheep through the desert. And he arrives at a point, now he's, he's plus 100. Maybe some of us just need more time. And he's going into the tent of meeting day after day. And when he's in there, God says, hey, Moses, good to see you today. How you doing? Yeah, I heard what they said to you. I know it's really difficult to take all the stuff you've got coming from three million people that are just cranky all the time. I'm sorry that this has to be your lot in life, but it's your lot in life until you get to the promised land. You cool? I'm cool. All right, I can go face him again. Talk to him like you would talk to your friend. Was Moses' life perfect? Of course not. Just like every other human, it was a mess. But in all of these cases, they stayed in the relationship to the point where they understood the heart of God and were not afraid to hear from the voice of God. challenge I want to lay before you is that one. Are you ready to take that kind of a step? As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Our love. Our love. Whose has to grow? If his is already there, whose has to grow? If this relationship's going to get closer, who's going to have to move? Me, because I'm the one who's further away. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, to recognize who you're dealing with, to recognize and be humble about it when you face God. And then just walk with him. Ups and downs, sideways, back and forth. Ups and downs, sideways, back and forth. Days when you're mad at him and yelling at the sky. It's okay, these guys did that. Remember these guys, these Abrahams, the, these Moses, the, these Davids. These people yelled at God. These people looked up in the heaven and said, what are you doing? And God did not zap them with lightning. 
He is not afraid of your voice. No matter what you shout, he's only afraid of losing you. So if you need to shout at the heavens to stay in the relationship, please do. Because the goal of the relationship is that you end up in a place where you begin to love others because you know you're loved. You talk to your kids about Jesus because you know this is the one relationship they cannot miss in the world. You tell them why you believe what you believe because you've come to this on a hard road that started with fear. And now you've arrived at a place where you trust the motive of God. If your friend, your family, your, the, the person you meet at the grocery store has some, 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 some concerns or some distance or some no relationship at all with God, all you have to share with them is that you've fallen in love with God and you know that He loves you. And we can try to explain that if you'd like. Here's how it works. I used to be scared of God. And then I joined in kind of the relationship with God because I realized the death of Jesus was the ultimate expression that He loved me. And I just started following Jesus. As best I could from day to day, I just kept walking. You know what the best thing I ever did in my relationship with God was? I just kept in it. I just kept showing up. I just kept going. I just kept trying. I just kept showing up. Day after day after day after day. And after many years of walking along with Him, I've discovered that I can trust Him. And so I'm not afraid of Him anymore. Because I trust His motive. And I trust His heart. I want to invite you to take the third step in your relationship with God where you're not just in this, uh, if I say, if I do the wrong thing, God might zap me at any moment thing. Where every time somebody cuts you off or you get a red light on your way to an appointment you're late for, you don't go, God, come on. You go, okay. If I am now stuck at a red light on my way to, my way to this deal, this thing that I hoped I would get straight green lights all the way through, I trust that you know what you're doing even though I don't. It takes away the, the stress. And it's a pretty high place. This is what David experienced. This is what Moses experienced. This is what Abraham experienced. This is what Adam and Eve experienced before the fall. The ability to trust the heart of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that, that John, as he reached his older age, as he matured as a follower, as a sort of Christian believer, as a founder, as an apostle, as a disciple, as his relationship grew, even after the crucifixion and resurrection that he was able to give us in a few verses in 1 John 4 an expression about how this relationship is all twisted up and wrapped around an understanding of love. We love because we were first loved. Thank you that we were first loved long before 
any of us deserve anything and that we are still loved through mistakes and problems and arguments with you. We are grateful for your covering grace, the cleansing blood of Jesus, and promise the resurrection. And that in all of this mess, you're trying to get us 